Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of messages on the Gospel of John, and this program is the ninth program in this series. In this program, I'm going to be talking about John chapter 2. John chapter 2 is a transition It's a transition between the public proclamation of John the Baptist testifying that Jesus is the Messiah between that point and the time when Jesus goes into Jerusalem and makes a public proclamation about himself being the Messiah. And so we have a few things that took place between John the Baptist and Jesus entering the temple in Jerusalem. And that's really what John chapter 2 is about. And so I'm going to be speaking about a few of these things and talking about some of the details that we have here. So beginning in John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. But Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, through this exchange, through this conversation that Jesus has with his mother, it's clear that Jesus asserts the fact that he does not live in obedience to his mother, but the fact that he will follow through and he will provide a solution to this problem does represent the fact that he's willing to honor his mother. And so this conversation is relatively short. And his mother said in verse 5, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. And so his mother does not speak to Jesus in the context of you will do what I tell you to do. She speaks to the servants and says, just do whatever he tells you to do. And that's a very appropriate way for his mother to relate to her son at this age. And then in verse 6 it says, Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece, in the sense that they were able to hold 20 or 30 gallons of water. It appears that at this time these containers don't have any water in them, because in verse 7 it says, Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water and they filled them up to the brim. Now, these water pots were used in order to provide water so that the guests could wash their hands. It was a part of the Jewish culture, in accordance with the law that they had there, that a person was expected to wash their hands before they ate a meal. And there was a procedure associated with that, that a person would even use a special cup. There were special cups that were made that had two handles on them, that you would first pour the water over one of your hands and then pour it over the other, and then back again a third time on the hand that you poured on to begin with, 
There was a whole ritual associated with this, practically a ceremony, when they washed their hands. But with the number of guests that were there, the water would be used, and it would be poured out, and the containers would be empty. And the fact that there would be so many containers, six containers like this, of 20 gallons apiece that would be empty, this would express the fact that there were a lot of people who were there at this wedding. And so running out of wine would not necessarily be such a big surprise considering that there would be a lot of people there. Jesus was invited. His disciples were invited. He and his five disciples at that time were present there eating and drinking, and they were drinking wine. That would be expected of them being participants in the wedding feast that was happening at this time. And so they filled them up to the brim. And then in verse 8 he says, And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. All right, so this was a miracle or a sign that Jesus did to demonstrate, to demonstrate what? He did not do this in order to demonstrate that he was the Messiah. This was not a miracle for the purpose of making a public proclamation regarding his messianic identity. This was a private miracle that he did in order to meet the need that existed in the wedding feast that he was participating in. His mother spoke to him about this, confronted him, knowing that he would be able to do something about this situation, told the servants to do whatever he told them to do in order to resolve this matter. He told them what to do, and through the miracle of changing the water into wine, through this miracle, Jesus asserted that he was the Messiah, but not in a public way. In this case, it was a private experience, and the only people who knew about this were the servants and his disciples. It says in verse 11, this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. This was the beginning. John, who knew Jesus well, stated that this was the beginning. This was the first sign that Jesus ever did and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. So it was his disciples that believed in him. But this was not a miracle that Jesus performed so that everybody who was there would believe in him. It was not something that he did as an opportunity in front of all these people. He did not make a public declaration before all of them concerning his identity. This was a celebration about a man and a woman becoming married. This was not an opportunity for him to use what was going on in order to proclaim that he's the Messiah of Israel. He's the King of Israel. And here he has changed the water into wine in order to demonstrate that this is in fact the case. That's not what he did. But his disciples saw this and they believed in him in verse 11. 
Now, didn't they believe in him already? Well, of course they did believe in him to an extent, but this describes a transition, a very important transition, a transition that we all go through when we first discover the Lord Jesus for who he is. We can believe a little bit about him. We may believe a few things about him, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to have a deep conviction about who he is. Not right away. And I don't think it's necessary. I think the Lord will honor and respect and appreciate whatever we are willing to believe about him. And as we live our lives with that belief, we will grow, we will mature, we will discover new things that we can believe about him. Our trust in him will grow over a period of time through transitions that we experience as we discover more and more about who he is, what he has done, and what he relates to us so that we may know him personally. And so here in John chapter 2, verse 11, what we have is we have a description of the disciples believing in Jesus more. They believed in him enough to follow him this far, but now they can believe in him more. After this, in verse 12, after this, he went down to Capernaum. He, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. But then in verse 13, it says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. This is John chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Jesus goes to Jerusalem to observe the Passover. He is required to do this according to the law. And so is everybody else in Israel. Everyone was required to be in Jerusalem for the Passover every year. And this is when Jesus enters the temple after John the Baptist identified him as the Messiah. He enters the temple in Jerusalem as part of the Passover, and he finds that the temple is turned into a place where people do a lot of business. And what were they doing? They were selling oxen and sheep and doves, and they were exchanging money there in the temple. Now, at this time in history, the temple did become somewhat of a business, and this is mainly because of the high priest Annas and his family, that they used their authority there in the temple, Annas being the high priest, they used their authority to set up quite a profound family business. Now, these animals that were for sale there in the temple, these animals were pre-approved. If a person wanted to bring a sacrifice to the temple and perform a sacrifice according to the law, then the animals that the people brought would have to be without blemish according to the law. And the priests would inspect these animals that people would bring to be sure that these animals were satisfactory, that these animals were without blemish. And if the priest was able to find something, anything, and I'm sure that the priest could find something if they looked long and hard enough, if they found anything, then the animal would be disqualified. And so the person would have to either go and find another one 
Or there was the option that they could purchase one of the animals that were already there that were pre-approved by the priests. That these animals, these oxen, sheep, and doves were already certified. But in order to buy one of these animals, you're going to pay a lot more than you would pay for an animal somewhere else and then bring that animal again to see if you can get that animal to pass inspection. And so people were spending a lot of money in order to buy these animals that were pre-approved because of the likelihood that the priests would reject the animal for some kind of blemish that they would be able to find. This became quite a business for the priests, for the Levitical priests who were under the authority of the high priest Annas and his family. This was quite a business, and they made a tremendous amount of wealth. When it came to the Passover lambs, for example, people could walk for days in order to get there to Jerusalem and present the lamb that they brought with them. They could walk for days. And when they presented their lamb for inspection, if the lamb was rejected, they've got to go and get another one. And they have to do it really fast because it has to be selected on that day or inspected on that day and certified. And so they have to do something in order to deal with this. They're not going to be able to just go back home necessarily and return in time to have their lambs checked again. And so in this case, the priesthood would sell lambs to these people and, of course, charge a lot for these lambs. And they did make quite a bit of money. Now, when it came to the money changers, this happened because in the law, in the Mosaic law, you were required to do all of your transactions in shekels with the money that God declared the priesthood was to use as part of the temple operations. The nation of Israel had their own monetary system that God defined as the shekel. And so any transactions that took place within the temple had to be done using the monetary system defined by the Mosaic law. Most of the people were using the Roman coinage because that was the money that was in circulation primarily at that time in history. And so they would have to bring in their Roman coinage and exchange it for the temple coinage, the monetary system based on the shekel. But in order to have people available to do these transactions, to make the coinage and to exchange the coins, in order for that to take place, these people had to be compensated. They had to be paid for their labor of providing this service. And they were paid quite well in the exchanges. They would use the weight of silver and copper as well. They would use the weight and they would make an exchange such that they would obtain a significant profit in the sense that they would obtain some weight in silver themselves as part of the transaction. And so this is what Jesus walked into. And during this time in history, according to the writings that we have available, the people were not in favor of this at all. The people did not appreciate this. They found this to be very disturbing. But the high priest had the authority 
to do this. And the people did not have an alternative. They had no recourse. They had no way to protect themselves from this kind of corruption that was going on there. And so when Jesus saw this, he responded. And in verse 15, it says, When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. Now, now this was a big deal. This was a major event. Jesus walks in there. Nobody knows who he is. They have no idea who he is, who he thinks he is. They don't care. And he does all of this. He runs the animals, and there were a lot of animals available, runs the animals out of the temple. He kicks over the tables. Coins go everywhere. He creates quite a disaster, and with a whip. So we have the Lord Jesus doing all of these things, and it's important to understand that the people were definitely in favor of this. The priests who were engaged in this business certainly were not happy about this at all. But the people, on the other hand, they were definitely in favor of what Jesus was doing. And so this is one of the reasons why Jesus would be able to walk in, do all of this, and walk out without any concern with regards to whether or not he's going to be arrested. First of all, because this is going to be quite a shock to the priests and the people in authority there in the temple. But second of all, because the people would be cheering this on. They would be all in favor of this. In verse 16, And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. In verse 17, Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered, now this would be the priests, it would be the people in positions of authority. In verse 18, so the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. All right, so the people in authority, they question him and they ask him, who do you think you are? Or in effect, Give us a sign. Give us some kind of a miracle. Give us something to show us that you have the authority by God in order to do this. To refer to yourself as the Son of God. To say that this is your Father's house. Let's see what you've got. Let's see what you can do. And to those people, Jesus was very direct and he said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now, what he was effectively telling them was, I'll tell you what, you kill me, because he's referring to himself as the temple. If you kill me, I will resurrect from the dead three days later. That's what he told them. That's what he gave them. He spoke to them with the attitude of, listen, I'm not interested in showing you some evidence that I have the authority to do this. I'm not interested in doing that. I'm not here for your approval. I'm not here for your permission. I did this. This was appropriate. And I'm not going to defend myself regarding this at all. If you want to do something, why don't you put me to death? You go ahead and do that for what I just did. And if you do, 
then I'll resurrect from the dead three days later, and then we'll see. Then then you'll get a sign. That's the sign that you are going to get. And later on in his ministry, he proclaimed to them that that would be the only sign that he would give them after he was officially rejected as being the Messiah by the people in positions of power and authority there in Israel. And so he says it up front, and then they ask him, in verse 20, Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? And he does not respond. He does not reply. He does not give them an explanation. In verse 21, But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. But he did not answer their question. Who were they that he should answer a question like that? To give them a better explanation of what he was saying. His position was very clear. He was there for the people who would believe in him. He was there in order to do what his father told him to do. And that is all that mattered. In verse 23, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them, because he knew all men, and had no need that anyone should testify of man. For he knew what was in man. Now, this is a very profound statement that we have here that John wrote down. You see, there were a lot of people who did believe in Jesus because of the signs that he did while he was there during the Passover. He did a lot of wonderful things, and there were a lot of people who believed in him because of the things that he did. And they were willing to commit to him to an extent to the extent that they would believe that he is, most likely, the Messiah. But there's a big difference between the people committing themselves to him and he committing himself to them. You see, the people were believing in Jesus because of the miracles that he did. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not enough. It's not the same as believing in him because of who he is because of the truth, because of the relationship that he wanted to have with them. To them, he was a person who would do good things for them, who would provide miracles and signs and wonders. But there's a lot more to having a relationship with God than having him in their life just so he does things for them. There's a lot more to it than just that. And so Jesus did not commit himself to them because they were not ready. They were not in a position. They were not in a state of mind. They were not willing to really embrace him for who he is and also receive him as a person and build a relationship with him so that they could be a participant in the work that he is doing in this world, and so that he could also be a participant in their lives in ways that would be so much greater, so much greater than just these signs, wonders, and miracles that he was performing for them. It had to do 
with the issue of their heart. What was the condition of their heart? He wanted to have a relationship with people on the basis of a personal interactive connection on a heart level. Not to just be some person who would perform signs and wonders for them, but to be a person who could be close to them and that they would be close to him. And for those who want to be close to him and to know him personally in the core of their being, in our hearts, he is a God who wants that as well. And he is a God who will commit himself to people, who will expose himself, who will present himself, who will engage with them on a personal level. And this is something that he's able to do through the resurrection of us, once we are resurrected from the dead, through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, according to the gospel. And so in John chapter 3, Jesus speaks with Nicodemus about the gospel, about the importance of being born again, born again by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, who will make you alive. And I will continue with this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This program is the ninth program in the verse-by-verse study on the Gospel of John. In this program, I spoke about John chapter 2, which was a transition between the public proclamation by John the Baptist that Jesus is the Messiah until Jesus arrives in the temple in Jerusalem in order to make a public proclamation that he is the Messiah. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he was there at the time of Passover. And at the time of Passover, everyone who was in the nation of Israel was there in order to observe the Passover according to the law. The law required that everyone be present there in Jerusalem. And so word would have gotten out quite fast that Jesus went in and caused a major disruption in the temple, and asserted that he was the Son of God, referring to God as his Father. And this program can be found in the radio archive in the verse-by-verse section on the Gospel of John. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries, You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937 or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.